Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Get ready for a one-of-a-kind event you don't want to miss. Variety's Entertainment Marketing Summit, presented by Deloitte. Register now for this free virtual event, featuring powerful conversations with brand leaders from companies such as Disney, Amazon Prime Video, iHeartMedia, TikTok, and more. They'll discuss the entertainment industry's evolving digital trends, storytelling strategies, and new platforms to deliver marketing messages. Registration is free, but required for virtual access. So visit variety.com slash marketing summit now. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. The premiere of GARP in Los Angeles, if I remember correctly, was in that big theater in Westwood. And John Lithgow and I wore our own clothes just out of our closet. You know, the red carpet used to be just something you walked on to get into the ceremony. Now it's totally changed. Glenn Close marvels at how much red carpets and awards campaigning has evolved over the years. I'm Janelle Riley. On this bonus edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Close about Hillbilly Elegy, for which she is Oscar-nominated this year, as well as the most challenging auditions of her career, and much more. A chat with Glenn Close coming up next. Stay close. Hillbilly Elegy is based on the New York Times bestseller, Hillbilly Elegy, a memoir of a family and culture in crisis, written by J.D. Vance in 2016. He wrote about the Appalachian values of his family and growing up in Middleton, Ohio, as part of a low-income family. Glenn Close and Amy Adams star in the drama as a mother and daughter who struggle with raising their multi-generational family. The movie is told from the perspective of Adams' character's son, a Yale graduate who is forced to return to his hometown. I'm taking him. Where? To live with me. And if you got a problem with that, you can talk to the barrel of my gun. You can't just come in He's getting in trouble. He's in trouble. He's a teenager. No, it's not just that. He needs somebody to pay some fucking attention before it's too late. What do you think I've been doing, huh? Just got us into this new house. Good news. He could have gone to jail, Beverly. He's got loser friends, and he's going to be a loser if somebody don't do something. Glenn Close is one of the most heralded actors in history with a record eight Academy Award nominations. This year, she's Oscar-nominated for her role in Hillbilly Elegy as Mama, the tough but loving grandmother who helped shape the book's author. I recently spoke to Close about the film, as well as the advantages to promoting a movie from home, and what it's been like to spend some virtual time with other actors and the women in her category. Close also notes how premieres have changed outside of the pandemic, remembering her first premiere for her debut film, 1982's The World According to Garp. We began by discussing which film character her fans ask her about the most. Well, it changes kind of generation. The kids always now, you know, kind of distressingly older kids <laughs> grew up with me as Cruella. So I get a lot of that. Oh, still fatal attraction, you know. Um, and then I just, it's lovely, big chill. Um, 
they're the natural people love the natural. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I, uh, posted something. Oh yes. On, on the set of Albert Knobs, it was the first time that Phoebe Wallerbridge and Emerald Fennell met each other. It was on the set. They were two friends of another friend of mine and they, they were played the, uh, aristocrat, aristocratic women. And, um, I posted that picture and all these comments were, oh, we love that movie. We love it. We love that movie. We just watched that movie. So that's a movie that, mm-hmm. that um, you know, when Janet and I were up for Oscars, it I think a lot of people hadn't seen it. Um, so it's really gratifying to have people come up to me about that movie in particular, because it's a movie I'm particularly pr- proud of. Uh, sort of the flip side of that, are there other movies that like maybe didn't get the love you wish they would have that you'd, you'd like people to check out? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Things are pretty well seen at this point, I think. <laughs> well, you know what I really loved and, and I remember so vividly is you hosted Saturday Night Live and you were such a great host. You oh, know? yeah, I love doing that. I did it twice, I think That's in the right. 90s. I can't remember. That's right. I'm hoping they'll invite me back. Well, I'm sure they would love to have you. I thought I thought you just were the one who had to make a call and say you're ready. It was really funny because I had an aunt who's now passed, but she was a dog judge and she would judge at the big like Westminster and everything. And so in one of the skits I did was a woman at the Mad Dog Show. And I dressed like the women I had seen at Madison Square at, you know, Westminster with the long gown and the big corsage. And then my my uh, aunt said that there was it was all very there was all this this back and forth in the dog world of who I was playing. Um, and then they thought it was maybe this person. So that to me was really fun. Created a mini scandal in the dog yeah. world. <laughs> I just remember the first time you hosted. Well, first, I remember you brought out William Hurt to help you with your monologue. And I yeah. couldn't believe it. I thought it was an actor playing William Hurt. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's him. They really got him to do this. Because my mom said, don't ever talk about yourself. <laughs> Get someone else to. Yeah. Yeah. Not nice to talk about yourself. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> and then something Saturday Night Live doesn't really do as much anymore is, is have people play their famous characters. But you did both a Big Chill parody and a Fatal Attraction parody. I don't remember the Big Chill parody. I, I remember the uh, Fatal Attraction parody. Oh, was it? It's maybe. Oh, you know what it was? It was when Kevin Klein hosted. Oh, and yeah. it's the scene where you give him permission to to make love to, to your friends. <laughs> yeah, but then they go all night. And it goes <laughs> on for like hours. <laughs> That's funny. I I did the first time I did SNL. I asked, or maybe it was the second. It was the second time. I asked all the guys who are uh, the the policemen a fireman, the guy who pumped gas at our local gas station, the guy from the post office, the man who set up bluebird boxes to come on with me. And they all did. It was in a snowstorm. And somehow they all, and they sang something like Silver Bells or something. And and I remember some of the writers said, you know, people will think these are these are actors. And, and and when you saw all the guys from my hometown together doing that, no one thought they were actors. Wait, was that really... was real? I, I yes. t- to this moment right now, I assume they were actors. They were good. No, no. 
They were the real people. Wow. Oh, the guy from the from the local little grocery store. Yeah, they were the real people. Wow, that is amazing. Um, well, I would love to see you back on that. So I'll, we'll, uh, we'll we'll let let Lauren know. <laughs> um, I'm curious. You've you've navigated this landscape before of promoting a movie. Um, you know, going through sort of the award circuit. What has it been like this year, you know, when everything is like so virtual? Are, are you missing the in-person events or is it, is it kind of nice doing everything from your home? It's nice doing everything from my home. Um, it's really nice to be on a Zoom call and actually be able to talk to people. Uh, you feel like, I feel like you're in the room together. You can see people's faces Whereas before you go into a big gathering and it's really hard to have the kind of communication that we've had this year in these virtual rooms. And it's meant a tremendous amount to me. I love my fellow actors and to be able to to have a quiet conversation together, uh, talk about whatever we've been asked to talk about. It, it really is, has been very enriching. I, I'm very grateful for it. And I feel like when we all get together, when we do see each other in person, we'll feel like we're, you know, that we are friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I could meet uh, one, the one Song Young Jung from, from Korea, if oh I can, God. Maria, you know, from, all these wonderful people who are in my category. Of course, Olivia, I've already met, but, I, you know, it's, it's it's really great. We we have an amazing community. Right, because you probably spend a lot of time together in Zoom rooms at these various ceremonies. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, yes, if, if we're lucky. And so I've had, you know, round tables. I did the the um, Hollywood Reporter round table with a bunch of women. And it was wonderful. All virtually. I th- think the yeah, first but, yeah. women in film, women in film, a lot of women were on that from all different categories of the Oscars. And it was, that was really fantastic. I followed up afterwards by calling some of them that I had in my database. That's so cool. I think, I think there are certain, I don't know if I want to say advantages, but there are like some cool uses of technology. Maybe we should keep when all this is over. I totally agree with you. And as someone who, I mean, you were nominated for an Academy Award for your very first movie out of the gate world, according to Garp. How have mm-hmm. you seen this whole process change over the years? Did you did you do things like Q&As or, you know, uh, tastemaker screenings back then? No, 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 not at all. In fact, the premiere of GARP in Los Angeles, if I remember correctly, was in that big theater in Westwood. And John Lithgow and I wore our own clothes just out of our closet. I, it just... Um, you know, the red carpet used to be just something you walked on to get into the ceremony. Now it's totally changed. Has a whole new meaning. Yeah, it's now important to the fashion world. And, and uh, you know, people change their clothes three times a night or four, you know, to, to wear all these different outfits and stuff. And it's just, uh, yeah, I, I guess with social media and, and everything, it... it, it I mean, social media kind of came out after the the whole uh, fashion thing, but um, it's changed. I mean, it's changed in every aspect. When I started um, over 40 years ago, the 
there was a big difference between television and film. Mm-hmm. And the enemies were totally different, totally different people. They're kind of the poor cousin of the Oscars. Now it's they're interchangeable. Um, and I think that started when I first started producing in the early 90s for Hallmark. Hallmark Wall of, uh, Hall of Fame was the place to show classy stuff. Um, now, that was before cable, before HBO. Uh, and I mean, uh, I I did a whole series. I did the series, the Sarah Plain and Tall series with Hallmark way back then. Um, and when I went back to theater at different times in my career, I was um, accused of not being able to get jobs. So I would go back to theater. Oh, poor Glenn Close. Now, you know, people are dying to be on Broadway. I mean, mm-hmm. so the whole thing has really changed. Nobody uh, was do- were doing a series. And I remember I did a, uh, a season of The Shield. Uh, and then they came back to me with the idea of doing damages. And because it was so incredibly written, and I'm always, I'm always a sucker for good writing, I did it. And I think I probably was the first actress of my of my ilk to to do a series like that um and now everybody's in series and it's fantastic uh, it really is it's fantastic for the writers and for us for the actors and and i think a limited series now to me is the best way to tell mm-hmm. a story i mean there's nothing better than going into a movie theater and seeing a great movie that will always be the case but as far as storytelling uh, to be able to to have four, you know, whatever episode, amount of episodes are needed to tell the story right. I mean, that's a huge luxury. And so I think we're kind of it's it's exploding. It's kind of like the Wild West. But as far as us artists are concerned, um, I, I think we have many more possibilities than we used to have and, and more acceptance of those possibilities. I mean, I remember all the way back at the start of your film career, you did Garp and I think The Big Chill back to back. And then you did a, a, a very important TV movie, Something About Amelia. And that was after Garp. That was after Garp. Right. Which, And I remember it was kind of a big deal at the time that you were doing TV. Yeah, well, I was told that it would ruin my movie career. And I thought, I've always said all these years, will the English do it? Why can't we? Mm-hmm. It's wonderful material. I'll do it. Um, yeah, I did something about Amelia right after Garp, then The Big Chill, and then The Natural. It was wild. So obviously it didn't hurt your film career. You did okay. Guess not. <laughs> didn't hurt Judy Dench or Helen Mirren either. <laughs> I'm actually curious about Garp because there, there's this mythology around, you know, it was your first movie role and you get an Academy Award nomination and you you just sort of emerged on the scene as as someone to watch. Um, but how did you land the part? Was it just a regular audition process or did the director know your work? No, I was on Broadway in a musical called Barnum and George Roy Hill and his fabulous casting director, um, Marion Dougherty, who really kind of created that, you know, that role. Um, they came to see Barnum and I appeared on, in a little balcony crocheting in the beginning of the show. 
And George was fascinated by my my stillness. He liked that. And I was asked to do a reading, a table read. And it was um, Mary Beth Hurt was my best friend. And she was asked to do the reading. And she ended up being cast as Garp's wife. And I was cast as Jenny Fields. Wow. I mean, did you, was was film always the goal? Or did you think you'd be doing theater and you'd be perfectly happy there? I never thought uh, about, I, I mean, this sounds crazy, but I was so, I loved theater so much and, and I, you know, loved acting and I loved the audience. I was really bad at auditioning. And for movies, you just walk into somebody's office and maybe, you know, read something from one scene. You don't know, I mean, it's crazy. So um, I had been an actress for six years before I got Garp. I'm really fascinated when actors say they're bad at auditioning. I know very few actors who think they're good at it, but uh, you must have landed roles through auditions or, or, or maybe not. <laughs> oh, I did. De- okay. Definitely in the beginning. Um, it was actually during the whole, uh, whole um, Albert Knob story, which I first did on stage, that I, I did such a bad audition that I stopped myself and said, I am boring myself to tears, so I must be boring you. I'm just going to go home. And... Later that day, <laughs> they called my agent and said that was the most interesting thing that had happened to them all day. And they wanted me to come back. And that's when I called Kevin Klein, my friend, and said, who is that coach that you work with? Um, because I really wanted that part. So I met Harold Guskin and he gave me some very simple, very simple things to, to think about. And it kind of changed my attitude towards towards auditioning, but I went back and I got the part. Wow. I mean, auditioning is an entirely different skill from oh. acting, so I understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now everybody puts themselves on tape. It's so weird. I would never get hired if I had to be put on myself on tape. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you're thinking about forgetting your lines. I mean, what the hell? I mean, I, I was lucky to walk into a room at least if I was on it, I usually always got the job. Very, very frustrating when you knew that they hadn't seen your best. But then a lot of times I'd, I'd try to get a, a second audition and say, I didn't show you my best. And, um, you know, a lot of times it helped. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you may have once told me a story about auditioning for Urban Cowboy. For who? For Urban Cowboy, was that it? It was a movie with John no. Travolta, I feel. Oh, I, oh I feel- no, that, oh, that was um, uh, American Gigolo. Oh, that's right. I forgot he was attached to that. Travolta was the original. And then, wait, was it? Yes, it was Travolta. Oh, yeah. That was miserable. Oh, it was really because I was doing a show on Broadway and they, I, and my understudy had to go on for me to go out to LA and do this audition, um, which always is not fun. You know, you're like, but um, so I went out to LA and Travolta was a huge star at the time. And I remember that they had overnight, they had been working overnight to create this fancy office for him because he was coming in to listen to audition with people. And I thought, really? And um, I was ushered into this room. There were about eight people sitting there with Travolta and a bed. And I wanted to kill myself. And I had pages. I hadn't memorized it. Um, but there was a 
scene where we're supposed to be in bed and he didn't know his lines and I didn't know what to do. It was, it was, it was so horrible. It was so humiliating. And I realize now what the game was. I didn't know what the game was then. The game was, I should have just tried to seduce him. Uh, It didn't matter what I said. It was like, you know, what's the chemistry? So I was trying to act, you know, whatever. And it was all about, will this, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah, that was, uh, that was not a fun experience. And obviously I didn't get the role. (laughs) Well, he didn't either, so... (laughs) (laughs) It worked out. Um, Not to sound incredibly naive, but was the bed so that you could do the scene on the bed or there was just a bed? Yes. Yes. I I have have nothing to say to that. I can't. No. I mean, I don't think it would happen today. (laughs) Uh, I doubt if it would happen today. Um, And I'm glad that it wouldn't. Um, Yeah. I remember, I remember talking and this kind of thing. I very, very big star went into an office with the director. Uh, the big star came in to read. And at one point he put his hand on my knee and started rubbing it. And I thought, this, this doesn't have anything to do with the scene or, or does it, or what am I supposed to do? Or all of a sudden it made me so incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and I, you know, it's just a tiny, Anything, a tiny gesture, but it, um, I didn't get that part either. <laughs> Sounds like but that movie thing. wasn't actually made. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. But there was a movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but the movie, the movie wasn't ultimately made. Wow. Well, I'm going to guess, correct me if I'm wrong, that you didn't have to audition for Hillbilly Elegy, although I hear you did reach out to Ron Howard for the part. I did. I did. I'd read the book when it came out and I heard. I heard that he was doing it, not even, I mean, thinking he'll never cast me. I mean, who would put me in a role like Mama? And, um, but, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I'd done work with, you know, I loved working with Ron on the paper. So I, I, I think I dropped him an email or something. And um, lo and behold, he came back and offered me the part. That's so amazing. And I love the paper. You probably talked to a lot of journalists, too. That movie had a big influence on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say it was quite true to life. <laughs> yes. Well, I was in journalism school when it came out. And I remember going like, this is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, you have played so many varied roles and taken on so many characters. Why, why would you think he wouldn't think of you for that part? You're a chameleon. Um, because I'm, you know, I've, I think people think of me because I'm from Connecticut as more an aristocratic type, you know, or kind of, I guess. Um, and it just might not even, I, I don't even know. It's an interesting question that I should ask him someday. Would he have thought of, of me if I hadn't written him a note? I don't know. That is a good question. Um your scenes with the young actor who plays J.D. Owen, um, Owen. I don't want to butcher his last name. I think it's... Owen Asteros. Asteros. Yeah, I was way off. Okay. <laughs> um, they are so fantastic. And I just feel like you know, we were sort of addressing chemistry earlier. Sometimes that's, that's something that just, it, it doesn't happen for one reason or another. Did you 
take time to get to know Owen or were you just sort of like put in a room together and, and told your family? Oh, no. I mean, the, one of the great things about what the, the support that we got from Netflix and Ron's um, uh, plan uh, for prep was to give us enough time together. And we actually went all before we even started shooting to Southern Ohio, met members of the Vance family there, spent a lot of time together reading through scenes. You know, we'd, we'd have this little green room that all of us would sit in. Then we some of us would go out and do a scene and come back. Um, and Owen is a a really lovely young man. And I think he's very talented and he came in with such a great attitude. He had, you know, he was eager. He wanted to learn. He was, um, you know, not arrogant at all. You know, he was just a good kid. And, um, and uh, so it was fun to work with him. And Ron was having been a child actor himself, I think was particularly sensitive to, to how to talk to him and, you know, um, direct him. Yes, we did. We did. We did have a great chemistry and we we've, you know, we've stayed friends. I haven't seen him since filming, but we uh, I call him every now and then and he texts me about certain things. So, yeah, this may be an unfair question to ask you, but um, do you think he was at all intimidated by you? I mean, do you know when you show up for a set that you're Glenn Close and there are going to be people who are like, you know, a, a bit in awe. I, you know what? It's hard for me to think of myself like that, but I'm sure he was. We had Amy Adams as well, you know. Uh, I'm sure he was, but he handled it extremely well. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of an introvert and I can be shy, so I don't, I don't kind of say, I don't think to myself, oh, I'm this movie star walking onto a set. If anything, it's, um, I have, you know, I have learned that it's important just to, you know, uh, recognize everyone and say hello to everyone. And, you know, we're all there to try to figure it all out together. We tend to see Mama as, you know, in a really tough exterior, you know, uh, as the matriarch laying down the law. But there's one scene in particular that sticks with me when they come by to give her the meals on wheels and she has to sort of, you know, ask if there's more food. And it's, it's, such a vulnerable moment and so different from anything we've seen her do up until that point. And um, I'm always hesitant to ask actors to, to give away the magic, but I am curious about like the approach to that scene. If there was, you know, if, if Ron gave you a certain note on, you know, what she was trying to achieve there, or if it was a hard scene for you, I mean, sometimes those, those quiet moments are harder than the, the big ones. No, I love that scene. I think, um, what was in my head was her sense of dignity that um, it, it was hard to ask, but she had to. And she didn't beg. Uh, she she just kept her dignity. And there's something very touching about that. The way she's looking at that gentleman, too, is like it's it, it says so much just, you know, just with the eyes. Yeah, I think she was. It's a very subtle thing that happens between people in that awkward situation where you you have to ask for something and and actually probably the more dignity you have, the um, the more effect you'll have. And um, and he happened to have a soft place in his heart because he probably had a grandmother, too, mm -hmm. you know. 
something that I mean as the biggest compliment is you do and don't look like yourself in this role. There are some subtle changes that I know. I've talked to the, the hair and makeup people, and I'm so happy they were nominated because I think they did astounding work. Um, how important to you was it to, you know, to not see yourself when you played this character? All, all important. All important. The first thing I thought is I don't want to be distracted by my face. Me, you know. Um, and I'm coming. I've been at it so long that, that you know, people know my face. And, and I thought for, for the audience to really be able to get into Mama and to understand her, it had I had to be removed from how I look. And um, so the first person I called up was Matthew Mungle who had done such an, who got nominated for, for, for two makeups and two uh, in Albert Nobbs. And um, he loves doing that subtle stuff because the last thing you want is people to say, oh, that's Glenn Close with a bad nose, you know? <laughs> um, so he, he just changed it enough, um, ears and, and nose. And then Ma- Marcel Conneville, who I think is the greatest wig maker in the world, who I've he used to do my hair for me all the time through my, he did, you know, 101, 102 Dalmatians styled those wigs. I mean, he's a, he's a genius and he now he builds wigs. So um, he also got nominated for Albert Nobbs and he's the second call I made. Um, and then to have Patty DeHaney styling the wigs and Aaron doing that masterful painting, uh, they, you know, I would look up and it wasn't me anymore. And it was incredibly freeing. It really allowed me to not be self-conscious about myself. It's so subtle and it's so good. So, so please take it as a compliment when I say that at first I didn't even know there were prosthetics. I was shocked to learn that because it's done so subtly. Yeah. No, I think it's a huge compliment, certainly to their work. Um, yeah, it was really fun. I mean, when when we had our hair and makeup tests, first time I had all all of it on. The the wig hadn't been trimmed yet, but um, I decided to go into the studio with a cigarette hanging out, of my mouth and nobody had seen me, and nobody knew who I was. Wow, <laughs> really funny. It was great. Then we knew that we had done good work. I remember, I don't actually even know how this came about, but you played a pirate in Hook. Uh, you did a little cameo and, and you played a male pirate. And I heard that like a lot of women were asking about you, like, oh, what's what's that guy's story? Apparently you yeah. had a very handsome I looked like Charlton Heston because um, Anthony Powell, who went on to do, you know, Sunset and 102, 101-102, he was the costumer. And I went uh, with Annie, my little girl who was about three or four and Demi Moore and rumor Annie and rumor were friends. And we went to visit uh, the set and to visit uh, Steven Spielberg. And he just said offhand, do you want to be a pirate? And I said, sure. <laughs> so Anthony did me up even with chest hair. Yeah. Great. And I was standing out in the, in the uh, outside the soundstage with all the extras and um my agent walked by and I said, hey, Mike. And he looked over like this. Who's the extra yelling at me? And I said, it's Glenn. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, yeah. And the, the, um, the script girl thought I was really cute. I mean, she kind of <laughs> hit on me in a way. which was <laughs> No, you made a really good looking pirate. I remember that. <laughs> 
yeah. um, gutless. Gutless, I think, was my name. I got put in a boo-boo box. I'm actually just impressed that there wasn't any preparation for that role because you had the voice and everything down. <laughs> well, Professor Scammon, William and Mary, voice um, ring. <laughs> I know we're almost out of time, but I, I really want to ask about what's coming up next. I know Four Good Days is coming out in May. I'm really looking forward to this. I, I love Mila Kunis. I can't wait to see you guys together. Mila is fabulous. She's a wonderful person. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very realistic story of a mother and a daughter dealing with the daughter's addiction, um, opiate addiction. And it's, it's tough, but it's true. Very timely, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say anything, but uh, is the Sunset Boulevard movie happening? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say definitively yet. All I can say is, you know, yeah. Do you know what you are working on next? Can you say or? I have some really cool things that are in development. Um, I'm not too sure what I'll do next. Oh, I might do this really fun turn on uh, just for one episode on something that I'm excited about, but I can't really? say what it is. That's Glenn Close, star of Hillbilly Elegy, now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Clayton Davis, and Michael Schneider, I'm Janelle Riley. We'll see you on the circuit. Get ready for a one-of-a-kind event you don't want to miss. Variety's Entertainment Marketing Summit, presented by Deloitte. Register now for this free virtual event, featuring powerful conversations with brand leaders from companies such as Disney, Amazon Prime Video, iHeartMedia, TikTok, and more. They'll discuss the entertainment industry's evolving digital trends, storytelling strategies, and new platforms to deliver marketing messages. Registration is free, but required for virtual access. So visit Variety.com slash Marketing Summit now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.